Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. You're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. And we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant. Which I don't know. if we, Did we give a shout out last week to the Bridgehampton Inn? I always give a shout out. Okay. Well, I am I am head to toe it, professional. That's awesome. <laughs> well, we're here at the Bridgehampton Inn. And restaurant. And restaurant and a cook shop. And cook shop and, and, and yes, all of that. All and, of those things. And actually, um, they have some special events coming up over the, the holidays, so definitely check the website. No, no, they have like a family-style Asian dinner on December 20th, and they have a New Year's Eve. They have all kinds of stuff going on. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So when is the Asian dinner? I think it's on December 20th. Nice. You want to go? That's like next Friday. That'd be super cool. Anyway, um, we've got our guest today is Del Cullum, who is known far and wide, both for, uh, I mean, not both for, for all of the many things he does, his um, imagination, nature photography, and his wildlife rescue, picking up trash on the beach, being an East Hampton Town trustee, at least to the end of this month, December 2019. And he has a new children's book out. I mean, the guy does everything. And he has a, a film. We're going to talk about all of that. That's so cool. So you are kind of stuck on the whole Ben Franklin thing, huh? Oh, Sock. yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I started my officially working on it. And like a lot this of things. This is a film. Oh, uh, it's going to be a, hopefully eight hours of television. It's going to be kind of like a mini, uh, limited miniseries. And really trying to um, find the humanity in a historical figure in a historical time. 
and then also like anything that I write, uh, figure out how I connect to it. And so I'm in the framing part. If you look at writing as architecture, I'm in the framing part. So there's a lot of like thousand yard stairs and a lot of like three in the morning thoughts and and then hopefully declaring enough to create the right structure. But the first episode yeah. is going to start with the Boston Massacre and end with the Boston Tea Party. I know that. Cool. And so uh, we start, with, you know, the, that's start with the massacre and end with a, tea, a party. Well, Ben Franklin was always like, um, Ben Franklin and Teddy Roosevelt, of all the people who've ever been I guess in in political power are my two faves, and like if I they would be they like, seem the, like five the kind people of people you want to like go have out dinner and with, have yeah, dinner with party yeah. with a little bit, and yet like like when you see Stephen King and you're like, oh, I, right, I you know, and, I and, like and that. And I'll give you and dude. I'll give you a little weird connectivity there. They both were city people, right? That te, uh, Teddy Roosevelt obviously went out to the wilderness yeah, and he was, he was a rough rider and all city. that stuff, but he was raised in New York City. And Ben Franklin was was a city person, and so perhaps. The, the reason why they are approachable is that, that they brought that city stuff with that them. That edginess yeah, that knows? we all have. But anyway, that's that's kind of in my brain, that. And um, I don't know. I'm trying to, to not have anything be impeachable this week <laughs> in my behavior. No impeachable offenses <laughs> in your behavior. Yeah. That's a good way to honor honor yourself. But I, exactly. I love the fact, actually, that, you know, even though what we do is so different, we are both writers, and I'm, you know, I'm a journalist. I, I actually hate saying that I'm a journalist. I don't know; it just sounds very, I don't know, pretentious. You're a press man. You're an, you're an inkster. I'm an inkster. You're a I'm an inkmeister. <laughs> I am master of the ink. Right. But um, provocateur. <laughs> but but even with little 650 word stories, I try to do the same thing, which is I try to frame them out and I try yeah. to find the humanity within of the person that I'm talking to and I throw them curveballs not like you know where were you on the night of whatever but like you know where's your passion and that's what we're going to talk to Dell about that's why no Dell I I don't know that much about Dell but but uh when I've kind of looked into Dell a little bit and we've even chatted a little bit before uh we started the show he seems like a, a very mellow guy filled with just a like a Grand Canyon worth of passion yeah he's got pranayama out the yin yang can you tell that I just went to my yoga weekend? No, tell me about that. Oh. So tell me about it, because you just said yes. something that sounded like Tipper Gore would like ban you in the early 90s. Pranayana <laughs> out the yin-yang? <laughs> no, I've been studying the Jaguar Path. Uh, it is yoga and shamanism. You can actually look online, thejaguarpath.com. And uh, it's nine months, and at the end of it, I am I, I take an extra week. At the end of it, <laughs> at the end of it, I take an extra uh, week of, of courses, and I'll get my yoga certification. And Eric and I are looking at opening our own yoga studio and That's doing amazing. energy healings That's and uh, having as if you don't retreats. have enough on your plate. Which is, might actually be what we're really talking about, because one thing with Dell is like, you could talk to him yes. as we were before for for a period of time, and and not even scratch the surface of all the places that he's uh, putting out positive energy in the world. And he has a pet squirrel, which reminds me of Veruca's Salt. Like I want. A I, squirrel. I I really because I prefer f- uh, free range squirrels. Oh God! You you just said you were plant based. Don't talk about free range. I squirrels. didn't say I prefer them to eat. I just mean my squirrels run free. I have I have to tell you something though. My mom grew up. My mom my mom grew up so poor. In, How poor was she? Okay, seriously. <laughs> he used to write for late night TV folks, so that right? was that was right there. Um, we were in the park with Georgia when she was little in Central Park, of course. Yeah. I mean Central Park because we're city people. Sunday in like, the park with Georgia was one of yeah. my favorite. <laughs> It's my favorite place. Sunday in the park with Georgia, with my mom. And Georgia's getting closer and closer with a peanut to a little cute little squirrel, cute little squirrel, cute little squirrel. Forgive me, Kyle. You're going to have to edit me on this one. And my mom leans over and says, I could skin that.
We're in four seconds. All right. <laughs> I was like, got us. No, but that's how my mom grew up eating eating roadkill. Right, how and, poor they were. and uh, there was that brain disease about 20 years ago that was all coming from people. Yeah, uh, eating, eating, berry, berry. But eating uh, squirrels. And eat. I think it was eating other humans, actually. Squirrels were eating other humans? <laughs> Who was eating is other this, humans? Wait, this Ben Franklin thing, is it a comedy? Uh, well, everything is a comedy. Does Buzz- comedy. The only difference between comedy and drama is where you stop the storytelling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Is, did you just make that up? No, no, I steal everything. I know. I always. Oh, my, my mom always would say that to me. My, that's what my mom. Well, your mom was trying to f- squirrels. My mom. <laughs> no skin. Oh. Squ- she was trying. Thank poor. She was said I could skin. Okay. The squirrel okay. in four seconds. <laughs> Jeez. I love your mom. I know you do, and she's listening. So you better. All right. Well. Send her. Send. Let's give Jen and Diana a shout out here. That's right, and. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's a, so you're on your way to a, a Jaguar path. I am. Why is it called a Jaguar path? Because in Peruvian shamanism, there are four power animals. They are um, the snake, the serpent, Sachamama, the jaguar, Otorongo, the hummingbird, Calimbri, and the condor, or condora. And they both, they all symbolize different parts of us, like the Sachamama is shedding old skin, leaving behind old... Uh, you know, old contracts and have being belly to belly with Mother Earth, which very much might be the power animal that, for example, Del Colum would have. Mm. And then the Otorongo is the jaguar, and the jaguar's fearless. It's the top of the food chain. So it's kind of that part of us that lives right here in our belly. And then the uh, hummingbird is both uh, our ancestors, honoring our ancestors because it flies backwards as well as forwards. And it also sucks the sweetness. It's like a sweetness and nectar in life. And Condora is far above everything so it kind of gives you a bird eye bird's eye view of your life and there are uh, we also have elefanda in our in our throat we have kukavaya which is owl in our third chakra i mean our third eye and then orca the whale is what comes out of the top of our head in the chakras but this is jaguar path not just no, no, all right. and and i i um thank you for that because i would never know that and that's sounds so cool it is super cool and yeah. i feel like i'm completely surrounded all the time by animals very much like our guest today del cullum yeah i know like i How's have so much but I, I, so like i i, I wiki del like when when you said like we're gonna have del on and and the, one of the things i read or not wiki i google whatever one of the things i read is that uh del uh joins the navy and uh, wants to be in the photography core of the navy which I did not know that they had, mm-hmm. but it makes perfect sense. Right. Uh, because if there aren't pictures, it doesn't exist. Well, there were films and in the. In I the, know. Yeah. And, and, but then he finds himself on a submarine. And that alone, like, I have a little claustrophobia. The idea of being on a submarine is just like trippy to me. And I would love to know about that. But that, that in his storytelling, it took him out to Hawaii, which then changed his life. And it seems like he's a seeker in some way and keeps on going and finding himself in interesting places and then finding things about those places even more that makes him a serpent he's constantly shedding his skin so we are going to take our little break right now and when we get back on we'll be with uh, our guest del cullum and talk to him about wildlife rescue photography the navy his travels his film about the galapagos it's called isabella and we'll be right back you're listening to us on 88.3 wppb fm Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. In the town where I was born lived a man 
who sailed to sea And he told us of his life In the land of submarines So we sailed unto the sun Till we found the sea of green And we lived beneath the waves In our yellow submarine Back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex. Sokolow. We're going to bring our guest on Del Cullum. We've been uh, talking and laughing. Hi, Del. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. Thank you for coming on. Right on. Thanks for having me. So uh, we don't even know where to start. No, I'll, with tell you you. Where, I'll tell you. Start where, at the beginning. We'll start at the beginning. So, <laughs> so uh, where did you enter this earthly realm? Right here in Amagansett, or well, in Southampton, and I was born and raised in Amagansett. Oh wow! So you're yeah. you're true uh, local. Absolutely. And your folks? My mom uh, is from Montauk by way of Nova Scotia, uh, and her family. And then my dad and his family was from Greenport, Shelter Island. Okay, so you really are Bonnock then. You can oh, say yeah. you're Bonnock. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, even with Nova wow. Scotia thrown in there. <laughs> they just classed up this whole <laughs> operation here. I actually even go sometimes to the uh, lost uh, tribe of the Akabonics because... Of course, you know, I went to school here and right. both uh, grade school. What's and the lost tribe of the Akabonics? Well, it's, just it's something that they haven't told me about because I certainly well, do not qualify. L- look it up because it's a secret organization. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, for people that were here from the beginning and their mm-hmm. families are just, you know. Yeah. And your travels and your life is taking you around the world and yet you always come back here then. Or you've uh, never well, left, maybe. Well, well, I, I did leave, and I, and I did leave with the expectations of never coming back mm-hmm. for no for no reason other than I was born and raised here, and when I became to the age of 17, I realized there was nothing really here for me at that time that mm-hmm. interested me. Right. So uh, the first opportunity I got, which... I, I took a year earlier, and, and that was I enlisted in the Navy at 17 years old. Wow. wow. And, 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 and let's talk submarines for, for yeah. briefly. Um, yeah. What was that like for you? For me, it wasn't bad. Sock had pointed out you went yeah. to join an, as hopefully well, a photographer. Actually, uh, I, I enlisted with the promise that I could become a photographer's mate, which was an actual rate. In, in the in the naval that's service. a long thing to put on a little like to put on a little a tag yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. And, and, and were you uh, growing up were you always drawn to photography I, I actually was and along with wildlife yeah, uh, yeah I want to hear know, about that too but, but, but let's yeah. go back but, to the Navy um, but not at the not together like I do now right, you know? right. but but uh yeah I was always into photography when I was a a preteen mm-hmm I found my dad's eight millimeter movie camera and I used to gather up the local neighbor kids and we used to make movies. That's cool. Uh, we used to remake some of the old Irwin Allen action movies, oh which gosh. were our like favorites Like Earthquake and stuff? We redid Poseidon Adventure, oh, we nice. did Earthquake, we did, t- and we did it in 
in our basement or outside. Yeah. And this is what we did and, as kids when we were young. And listen. And, and who was your Ernest Borgnine? <laughs> who was your Shelly Winter? I don't remember. <laughs> well, we never really caught it. Who's saying we, there's we, got we, to we never be really got. You, you, let me tell you, Bridget, there's some of them are, are posted on, on my social media. It's part of, Get the, out. It's part of that Just club. Just recently, about a month ago, I found them and posted them. Okay, and, so and they're, I'll they're, be right they're back. They're getting some good views. <laughs> yeah, but, nice. But, uh, Let's go back to the subject. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We were okay. running all yeah. over the place. Yeah, so like so so yeah, I got it, and and of course the school was in Pensacola, Florida, and there was a delay, so they wanted to put me in a transient division, which was just like a null and void section. I, mm. I clean the hallways of a barracks while I'm waiting to get assigned to a ship, so um, I, I said, you know what, I'll change my rate, um, and they offered me uh, what's called uh, an I seamanship, which is interior communication electronics. And that's what I did on board the submarine USS wow. Sam Rayburn. Yeah. USS Sam Rayburn. Sam Rayburn. Yeah. Wow. Six thirty-five. Gold How long was, was he a game show host? That's no. He was a, <laughs> he was actually a senator from Texas. A game show host. Rayburn. Yeah. Gene Rayburn. Gene, Gene Rayburn. Rayburn. Right. Uh, right. Right. Match game. Match that, that, game. That, that, yes! All right. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there's some yeah. connection going on. Yeah. He's probably a descendant of the great yeah. Sam Rayburn, who did things for the government. So I don't he know had about a that. Submarine named after him. All right, and, but it got you out to Hawaii. It did. It got me out to Hawaii, and I actually uh, was discharged. Uh, I got out of the Navy in Hawaii, and they offered me, "Do you want to go back to?" Long Island, we'll, we'll send you back to Ronkonkoma. That was the place. <laughs> or do you want to stay here in Pearl City, Hawaii? Right. I said, let me think about it for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> no, so really, it didn't you, take me. Dell, how long were you there? Two and a half years. Yeah. Wow. And I couldn't wait to get off. By the really? end. Really? Did you have yeah. island fever? Oh, I had rock fever, is what yeah. they call it. And yeah. yeah, I had gone around in circles so many times, I was dizzy. Yeah. You really... You do everything in the first year, and then you then, and then you, you then just you start another to lose howling. your mind. Then you're just another howling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, howling, right? Howling, yeah. Um, and 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 really, I mean, we had taken uh, red eyes to all the South Pacific islands. Mm. We had been to all the Hawaiian islands. We had done everything, and that was the first year. Yeah. So wow. the next year and a half Rinse was and repeat. bananas. Yeah, yeah. But I actually was a musician out there too, so I used to play in the. Also a musician. The, I used well, to play in the clubs out there. Yeah, my grand yeah. uh, no, and Waikiki. My uncle, yeah. my uncle uh, Johnny Malia, Giovanni Malia, uh, had a band out there for. He lived there for thirty-four years on Maui, in oh, wow. uh, near Paia. Yeah. And, and, so, uh, and, he, he and where drummer. do you come down on the ukulele? I love the ukulele. You do? I do. Okay. Of course. No, all right. Yeah. Just wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like just about every instrument. Because I think the ukulele is like the squirrel of <laughs> oh, oh, oh. string instruments. I smell a segue. So listen, so you have, okay, okay, so everybody knows you and Scurry to the point where yes. you've now done a children's book. Second. Your second, second one. The first one, one yeah. was. It was The Wild Adventures of Scurry the Squirrel, book one. Well, and now it it's what? book two. We're, we're Actually, I just Scurry finished number another... three. And it takes a year to do the illustrations. So I have a wonderful illustrator, Michelle, Michelle Mott. Mott right. Okay, fantastic. Couldn't do the book without her. Wouldn't do the book without her. Let's start yeah. with the most recent. How did Scurry come into your life? Scur I mean, Scurry is is an amazing creature. Scurry is a, a, an average gray squirrel that was brought to us when its eyes were still closed. It fell out of a tree nest, mm. and the person found it in the road because the road was warm. 
and it was feeling the asphalt, but it didn't know it was a road. So the right. person found it, moved it off the road, and immediately ran back in the road. She Aww. said, can't have this. Yeah, yeah. Picked it up. Let's bring it to Dell. Right. So we're, we're good. We'll get to how they, that They brought evolved, it to me, but, and, yeah. and then... Um, how long ago was this? This was, this was almost, almost five years ago. And my wife raised it. And when his eye popped open, the first eye, <laughs> he looked like a little pirate. But that's why we thought he was pirate. So we named him Scurvy. Ah, you right. scurvy dog. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> that's what my, my wife did this, okay? Right. She thought it was the cutest thing. I did too. I said, it's great. But of course, when I wrote a children's book, rather, <laughs> rather than have to explain to the kids right. what scurvy meant, right. uh, we decided right. to change it to scurry. And take over it, time, we've just take, called scurry. Scurry didn't mind, and now we call it scurry. Is scurry still with us? Scurry yes. is still with us. Yes, yes he is. I'm all right, and, yes. uh, and all right, I'm sorry, Bridge. I don't it's mean okay. to cut you off, but I want to know do squirrels have personalities? Without a doubt. In fact, all animals have personalities. You'd be surprised. It just depends how you connect with them. Well, uh, first of all, I was going to say you missed a golden opportunity to uh, end all your books with kids take your vitamin C. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say. Right. But um, that one of the things that we are learning in this Peruvian shaman course at mm -hmm. Jaguar Path is uh, that when kind of religion, you know, organized religion took over, you know, 2000, over 2,000, 3,000 years ago, the three things that were relegated to the back of the room were women, animals and magic so well, magic magic and religion really butt heads because religion is kind of the channeling of god and magic is the like that you are god you're controlling god you're controlling i, I don't think that's what magic is well, no, but but to going I, back to zoroastrianism that was the real fight with the priest back then is that yeah. who was basically who were you going to listen to to go forward as as a um yeah but but i think magic also has to do with harnessing the power of the earth it, i'm talking about magic with a k more like wiccan druid stuff mm -hmm. it had to do with the connection to the earth so all that stuff all that stonehenge basically was you know was put on the back burner and animals always had a personality and people related to them well, so, sure. So, right. yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised the squirrels have wonderful... My chickens they, have personalities. They actually do. Squirrel, squirrels have amazing personalities. They have great memories. Um, the only thing they lack is the ability to slow down. So, <laughs> so no, really, they, right. they move... They, their whole life is 10 times faster than ours. So you have to think about that when you're dealing with squirrels because they... They move that fashion. You say, well, what would you have to look out for? They move fast. You move slow. Well, things like when you hand them food, mm -hmm. okay? When you hand them a nut, they're more than likely going to touch your fingers when they're grabbing that nut. Mm -hmm. And if their claws tend to uh, touch you and that, and that freaks you out a little bit, your reaction is to pull them away. Right. And, and when you do that, they grab. Right. So there you just, you, without knowing, you just learned how to get scratched right but once you learn to just let them take the nut without moving your hand and accept their touch it's such a gentle it's such yeah, a gentle I, I find, reaction i find when anybody's handling my nuts i try and sit still <laughs> i just i knew, knew that you, was coming too you know that was i coming. did when i started talking about it i said can i just say that i'm so glad it wasn't me because i was right behind him but you know that sounds like a good place to take a break we're talking with del cullum about well, we're going to get into like how you started this journey sure. of the wildlife rescue because uh, you're like the animal whisperer of the East End and everybody sure. calls Dell. So uh, you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And we'll be right back.
Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow here on 88.3 WPPB-FM, Long Island's only NPR station, Peconic Public Broadcasting, and we're coming to you from the Bridgehampton Inn, and our guest is Del Cullum. We were having kind of a sensitive conversation just now, but um, if Del doesn't mind discussing it on air, um, you, you, you have a son who, who passed yes. when he was two, two? Yeah, uh, two, about two and a half. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that was about 30 years ago? Uh, yeah, 1989, he was diagnosed with leukemia. On, uh, his name was Christopher, and, and that was on uh, Christmas Eve, actually. We didn't have a very good prognosis. He was born very healthy. Uh, it, it just all of a sudden came up, and we decided he wasn't feeling good. We took him in Christmas Eve, and we never expected that to come back and be the the answer of course it, it kind of took away from the holidays not just that year for for a few uh, years after sure. that but um uh they didn't give him a very long to live and then of course he ended up living for two and a half years and and i say that i always have to add that they were quality years That's okay yeah. this boy went through a lot when he was very very young so by the time he was old enough like, you know, by the time he was a year and a half, things like needles, pff, yeah. that didn't bother him. Some of the things, poking and prodding, eh, he was, he, that was normal for him. So it became normal. He had, he felt no pain. Uh, we just tried to give him the best, the best life we could. I actually thought he was going to survive. I never gave up hope. I think it was the worst for me when, when he passed because I did believe that. Yeah. I had to, yeah, even course, even when even when there were times when I felt it that wasn't going to be the case, I made myself believe I was being silly, because why wouldn't he survive? Right. And this? but but you know one of the other things when we were talking off air, 
uh, that you talked about how he, he is still with you every day, every every uh, Absolutely. aspect of your life. So well, his vibration is still inside of you. You know, you know, they say everything happens for a reason and certain things come out of other things that you don't expect. This is a great example because um, I lost my son uh, in the physical sense. Mm -hmm. He immediately entered my heart in the, into the spot that I thought would be a part that had died is now more alive than ever. Um, he's with me everywhere I go. I talk to him often. We go to the beach and talk at the beach. This isn't, this isn't some, some way of dealing right. with grief. This no, is, right. to me, right. this so, is reality. So I, I don't know if this is making a leap. Yeah. Um, but so much of your work, whether it's, it's the garbage on the beach that needs mm -hmm. to get cleaned up or like you were talking before, going to the Galapagos uh, before we got on the air uh, with Billy Strong and, uh, and your photography and your children's book, it feels, like, it feels like um, these are things that um, I would say are an extension of this conversation that whether you were like this before this experience that you had or whether your son and his spirit and his energy has kind of shifted you a little bit Afterwards, it seems because everything you that that you're about seems to have a bigger and very simple and pure message. In a way, you're right. It, a lot of it, a lot of it does come from that loss, but most of it is a passion I just have, and involving my son gives that passion more energy and more strength and more insight for me. Mm -hmm. And it just sends my creativity level out of control. For example, my photography. You know, I, I think when I go out there and I see all these things that I, I want to capture on film, I believe I'm being directed to these things from my son. It's the way I deal with It's a bit of a this. channel. Okay, however, when it comes to the wildlife issue, Okay, yeah. and when I deal with animals, I really feel a connection with my son when I'm dealing with these innocent animals. I feel this is not an easy field. I, I lose no. I, I, I lose a lot of animals. I'm there a lot of times just trying to keep the animal comfortable while it passes. Right. Okay, or when it's in an, an incredible amount of pain and confusion. Um, I have to be there for that animal. And it's not easy. A lot of times I'll go home and I'll cry because, yeah. uh, because of it all hits me. Right. Um, what gives me strength is knowing that I'm not alone. And that's where my son comes in. He gives me that strength. He's there inside me going, come on, Dad, you can do this. You got to be strong because this animal needs you, okay? I would and think that you have so many. It's not just Christopher. I'm sure you have many, many um, supporters around you in the unseen worlds at all times, including all the animals that you've nursed. Absolutely. In, in fact, my, my family, like my grandparents, were, this, were, were much like me, okay? Mm -hmm. My grandfather on my mother's side was very close to animals. This is in Nova Scotia? This was, he was from oh, Nova Scotia, okay. came and lived in Montauk, um, used to feed the rabbits, used to, used to go feed the swans, and he had this connection 
with with animals that we always called the shine. Okay, we called this the shine way before the shining came out. Yep. This this was a, a a thing in our family that we had. I don't know if it's you call it the patience to try to try to connect magic. with I, animal or or you just have the connection. You, you have that animal vibration. I, I feel I do. And so can I ask you? Just, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, no, no. but um, for different species, like I, I know you do a lot of work with deer mm-hmm. and turtles and all of the local animals that we have out here do you use a different way of approaching different animals absolutely yeah well well yeah and and, uh, not just different species but different individual creatures well you deal with them differently but the whole connection part is usually the same to connect with an animal would be the same, almost the same way you would try to connect to a human, both a living thing. It's just they can't communicate verbally. So you have to, you know, look in their eyes. And and in the same way, they don't understand you, so they need to look at you. And of course, you know, we all know animals pick up the Fear the emotions and, and the senses and, and, and the aggressions and the comforts of humans, um, they they pick up this stuff, uh, and it seems with me I emit all the right stuff because I get that that, that connection back and, from and these animals. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like in vulnerability there's a lot of strength, and in being calm, there's room for other creatures to find their place because that's what I think you were talking about with the squirrel. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, say you are approaching a deer that is tangled in something and in right, pain. Right. What What do you do first? You know, and I'm curious from like this kind of spiritual point of view, not like, well, well I take his leg out. You know. Well, 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 let me let me say let me say and let me say this because not not everybody agrees to this because you know I like to talk to the animal, I like to talk to him in a nice soft voice, I like to let him know it's going to be okay. I want them to hear my voice. I want to hear I want them to hear that I'm not nervous and I'm not afraid and they don't have to be that way either. Okay? However, this is an animal that's trapped in a fence, right. okay? So there's much more that goes along with that. But I say that not everybody agrees with that because some people think that when you talk to an animal, you're talking in a language they don't understand. This stresses him out even more. So the best thing to do is never to talk. And, you know, when you transport an animal, don't turn on the radio thinking that that's going to calm them. You know, where I have a different approach. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I was born being taught music soothes the savage beast. And I believe it does. Of course, I'm not cranking up the radio when I'm taking an animal that needs medical attention. That's not my first concern. Right. But, but I wouldn't tell people not to do it. Um, I would just tell people to think, you know, how would you feel? If, you know, that's really all you have to do in any situation. Yeah. Put yourself in that position. Right. And it's really it's simple. It's almost like a reverse anthropomorphism. It's, look, mm-hmm. it's simple. If you were in another right. country and you got hurt, hurt badly, and somebody pulled up to you, and you couldn't communicate with them because they didn't speak the same language, you'd have fear. You really have a lot of emotions that you right, don't all right, normally all right, have. All right, and, and I, maybe this is a leap in the conversation, but in, in the world we seem to be living in at the moment, with so much technology and so much fear and so many conversations about refugees and border walls and all of this, it seems like this is such an elemental conversation that is being lost 
Uh, mean treat other people the way you yeah, want to be treated? Yeah, just having empathy. <laughs> right, Well, empathy. Uh, there you go. Well, th- that's the key word right there. Yeah. Let's go back or turn. So you're in the Navy, and then you get out, <laughs> and then you pick up a camera, and then you become a photographer, an author, a, 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 an animal activist, an animal rescuer. and How did you get? Well, well you know what? All of that we should talk about when we come back. But I also want to hear about the 501c3 and how you got back here to the East End. Because that's got to be an interesting journey. So yeah, but take- especially before the LIE uh, had that extra lane. Well, we all used to do that. Don't you remember the horse and buggies past the duck farms? Yeah, absolutely, the big duck. Right. <laughs> yeah, we used to go to the city and on Sunrise Highway. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> all the way. Six or seven hours on a July 4th weekend. Anyway, we'll be right back. You're listening to us uh, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we will be back in a minute. I can change the world with my own two hands, make it a better place with my own two hands, make it a kinder place with my own two hands, with my own, with my own. I can make peace on earth With my own two hands I can clean up the earth With my own two hands I can reach out to you With my own two hands With my own, with my own two hands Hi, we're back Sundays on the East End with <laughs> Alex Ocolo. And Bridget Leroy. And we're talking with Del Cullum. We've been having a most wonderful conversation. And you wanted to talk about the sub... I, we want to talk about you're at you're well, well, Hawaii well, no, and you come no, back no, to but, the East but, End. You know, it's a little bit about your personal journey, but it's also, I think you, you wear a lot of hats. And I think it's really interesting because it doesn't seem like the energy you put out is that you have to go in one direction, that it's almost like your passion or your your uh, awareness is taking you in places, and then you do things. You don't just sit there and say, I like that. You actually get your hands dirty. Yeah, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you, your plate's always full. You know, somebody like that, like myself, who works with a full plate, it's not really that difficult because I'm so used to doing it. Right. So all the different things that I do doesn't really seem... Like I'm doing a lot of different things. Maybe somehow I'm, I work them into each other. All I know is I enjoy everything I do. And as long as I'm benefiting somebody or my community, it just is a bonus. Right. You know. Which, which I know before we, we came on, you had talked about how you're, you're not, you didn't run again. You told people not to vote for right. you in the town board, town council. Uh, town, East Hampton Town Trustees. Town Trustees. Right. Um, what, what led you to want to get involved in local politics? Well, one thing and one thing only. Um, I had hit a dead end with a particular issue. So uh, it was, in fact, it was, you know, garbage cans on the beach, which simply was uh, the East Hampton Village uh, thought it was a good idea to actually put the garbage cans, not just leave them in the parking lot where they've always been and done a good job, 
but actually moving halfway closer to the water. Yeah, you know, what, so having, having lived in Los Angeles for 27 years, mm -hmm. there was nothing but trash cans on the beach. And I don't know if this is what you're going for, but I could tell you it's not just visually a blight. I don't know if it actually helps because there's so much garbage on the beach. And it's almost like by having the can there, people feel more empowered. Well, the problem is, is the re was partly was the reasoning. The reason for doing it was to make it easier for folks on the beach right, to, to throw to away their trash. Right. And to me right away, that's like, that makes no sense. Yeah. You're promoting laziness here, okay? <laughs> you bring something on the beach, well, how difficult is it to bring a bag with you? Store, take all your trash and debris that you brought on and bring it off with you. This is a thing we can't seem to, we can't seem to get well, we're, straight. We're very it's the easiest action. We're very and, disposable. Uh, yeah. uh, being. Yeah, but that's us, why I tell got... Tell us about your trip to the Galapagos. Uh, what, we're we're well, talking about yeah, yeah. town trustees right yeah, yeah, now, Carol! Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, and, and, and what happened What what happened was um, I, I, I went to the board meetings, I, I begged and pleaded, I did social media, I showed people in my films and photography what these garbage cans were doing on the beach. <laughs> they were getting over full. I just remembered your your um, your whatever slogan was uh, Del Cullum, he cleans up pretty good. Was yes, it something yeah, like that? Yeah, that was actually was Brian, your... Brian Downey put that together. He did, I was gonna, and I yeah. was just going to say, yeah. you're like the East Hampton Brian Downey because he he's like takes pictures in Sag Harbor of yeah. the garbage cans yeah, overflowing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, go ahead. We, yeah, we Sorry. Have, we're on the same crusade with that for yeah. sure. Um, uh, they weren't getting emptied. They were getting emptied the end of the day, okay? But in the Hamptons, the nighttime in the summer, that's when the action happens. Right. Yeah. So these garbage cans, not only were they getting full from activity during the night, but early morning, the people who didn't want to pay to have to dump their garbage were bringing their household trash to the beaches where they could see if anybody was coming. Right. And slip out and throw theirs on already full so, cans, uh, which you, and, made and, the garbage and, all over the and, beaches. And you just ruined this beautiful memory I used to have of my dad when I was a kid. Mm. Why? That's what he would do. Oh. <laughs> well, look, look, if there's room in the trash can, look, if there's I'm room so in the trash can. Mel would do something like if there's that. Room, if there's room in the can, just why, why yeah, not? That's okay. The They're probably in but our when, day there but, was room. But when yeah. it's, they're already I forgive, full. Wait, wait, wait. Mel is absolved Mel, of doing that because exactly. there was room back then. Yeah. So anyway, I couldn't I couldn't get a resolve from the village. So I said, "All right, look, I'm going to I'm going to get involved in politics because the trustees, they manage the beaches. Mm -hmm. They can tell the village, get these garbage cans off the beach." So I ran for trustee. And of course, I have no political experience. I just have a lot of community service and that lot, I've done through picking up trash and, and a lot starting, of opinions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I started the Shoreline Sweep 6 years ago. So on Earth Day, I get hundreds of people and businesses to come and we clean the, the beaches from Montauk Point to, to Wainscott, North and South Shores. Mm -hmm. So we get all this going. I, I get voted in because basically from my community service work, nothing more. And this drove the politicians crazy. They're like that son of a bitch. He can't do that. He can't get in without having any political experience. Uh, but I did. And because they didn't like how I got in, um, they uh, decided to support the trash cans rather than me, basically. Mm. So here I have been sitting in a corner with my hands tied for the past two years, not really able to do anything about the issue that I, I, I got in there for. Yeah. And they all know it's the right thing. 
And they're all going to make it happen once I go away, and they'll all take credit for it, which is fine with me. All I want is the garbage cans off the beach. It's so funny. It's such a simple thing. Well, I want to go. I want to go. This is a good, another good segue. We've had many in this show. No, no, actually, I was going no, but I was going to say, how did you go from like at seventeen, I, I, I am turning my back on this place forever, to being such an advocate and activist well, in the Hamptons? That's easy. You go away for twenty, thirty years, and you come back, and you see what's happened to your hometown. You know, and it's not good. It's yeah. less. Well, then you feel you feel like you need to do something. Not everybody does. Well, no, not everybody does, but you do. I did. Yeah, I did. And you know? and and how did you become the go-to person for like injured animals? I mean, tell me what's the know. name of your your what's your organization? Uh, okay, the 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 organization uh, I, that became approved in, in New York State, my nonprofit, is Wildlife Rescue of East Hampton. Okay, and we're going, we have a 24-hour a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We are going to have a wildlife rescue responder available for anyone who calls in to report uh, a wildlife emergency. Um, We also are going to have a, we also presently have a phone system set up where you can call in. You can report uh, seals on the beach directly to the Riverhead Marine uh, Rescue. You can um, uh, call rehab. You can uh, connect with the rehab and, and uh, Evelyn Alexander Rehab in Hampton Bays through my service. And you could ask any questions. You could text me a picture. I can identify something for you. If you have a raccoon in your roof, you could call me. I could tell you the best way to get rid of it without nope. having to hurt anything or 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 cost you a lot of money. This is everything wildlife. Now, didn't when you hurt yourself a couple of years ago, were you in the middle of a wildlife rescue? I was. I was getting a, a raccoon off a roof that had been trapped but had been left in the cage. Somebody, somebody who wasn't doing the right thing oh. uh, was trapping animals but not checking. State law requires you to check the trap every 24 hours right. because, you know, you could catch a... Somebody's cat or a yeah, dog or sure. or a child in some of these you know, fox cage is big enough to put a child in, but you have There's to. There's a good it's, idea. It's, it's law, <laughs> and some of these companies come from you know in the summertime they come from New York yeah. and up the island they come down here tell a customer you know we'll do it for half the price these local guys are doing it and they'll leave a trap with a chicken leg in it and a raccoon will get it the first night a week later you find you come back it's dead yeah, yeah. okay it's oh. and the worst part Start is it's starved to death, starved yeah. To death. Yeah. yeah so okay. it's raccoons being trapped so by rats that's what happened and raccoons as, being trapped by rats as soon as i had gotten i got on the roof to get this raccoon it started to sprinkle and as I was coming off the, the roof, the, the raccoon, the, the weather or the raccoon, <laughs> the raccoon. I'll get you to that one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that always happens. Yeah, by right. the way, when yeah. you when you take a raccoon down from a uh, with a cage, they always tinkle. Believe me, yeah. they're scared. So you were um, up there, and it was so raining. so I had gotten. I actually got the raccoon down, and I went back up to get the equipment that I left up. And when I came down the ladder, the ladders, the bottom of the ladder slipped out. And uh, I fell backwards. And and did you break your back? I did. I landed right on my back, my lower back, and and it broke. That's incredible because I remember when you were laid up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, from somebody who who had never really had a major medical issue, never broke a bone, a collarbone when I was a kid, don't even remember. Yeah. I was very fortunate. Uh, The doctors hooked me up. Uh, Physical therapy was good. My wife took 
unbelievable care of me. Yeah, he did. And uh, I I was good about 45 days later and right back out doing rescues. And That's cool. Of course, couldn't do it at the same level anymore. I can't lift certain things. I'm very limited to what I can do, but I still can help the animals. And that's why I went from kind of doing the removal type of work to the rescue type of work. And how does that lead to you writing these children's books? What is it that you want to, the children to take away or the parents who are very, reading to very the Very important. These, the, I write these books to reach the, the, the children because they're the next generation. They're going to be the ones that are really going to, to fix all the things we messed up. Well, we hope and, so. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but let me tell you, for somebody who visits a lot of schools, the hope is, what, is, the hope is good. I'm finding it to be a, a good case. Oh, that's I'm, great. I'm not as worried as I was a few years well, ago. But, yeah. but, I, but I, 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 um, the books are very important. What it's there for is not only to teach children about the wildlife and the various species of wildlife and give them a little bit of informative learning experience of that, but mostly to teach them to have compassion for wildlife. For animals, yeah. For for all animals. Right. Um, um, uh, Compassion, understanding, because this is the most important part. Because if you don't have that compassion and understanding, then it seems that these animals are just a nuisance. Right. Because they're in your space. Like opossums okay, and raccoons and we, we got to realize we're in their space. And when we build a nice house, we destroyed their house to put that house there. So when an animal comes into your attic, I always say to myself, well, you just built them a better tree <laughs> that where the tree was there, you just built a nicer one. Yeah. Okay. So of course they're going to use it. Um uh, so, so people great, have to have be great more respect for the earth as well. I mean, uh, and, and absolutely, absolutely. Did you have that as a as a kid, like going into the navy? Yeah, did you feel that? Yes, yeah, I did. Um, because I was always into animals. I, you know, the nature trail in the village. I, I've been going there since the early '60s, which okay? is supported by the LVIS. Absolutely, and they wonderful. do such a magnificent job, as well as the village uh, Department of Public Works. Yeah, they take such good care of that treasure. Okay, that's where I started getting with animals, and that's a long time ago. So it's never really left me. This is something that I've just had in my blood for for as long as I can remember. Well, you are clearly a shaman who is connected to animals. And you have your son as your ally. That I do. You. That's amazing. Uh, so. If but, we don't talk about the Galapagos, he's. he's yeah, oh, yeah, let's talk so about the Galapagos. So, so Billy Strong, who, who uh, you know. He's is part of the is, Strong uh, family out here. And, you know, East Hampton uh, resident and uh, artist and world traveler uh, took you or invited you to the Galapagos uh, a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, in 2016, Billy and I got together. And of course, Billy has the organization, The Green Explorer, mm. thegreenexplorer.org. Billy is The Green Explorer, goes around the world, speaks to kids and I saw and, his and, stuff and, in Borneo. And adults. Oh, yeah. It was unbelievable. Well, he's amazing, the stuff he does. Yeah. So uh, I was fortunate to have him ask me to film 
um, a movie, a film uh, about a project that he had dreamed of and he had planned for for a year in advance with an environmentalist over in the Galapagos. And his idea was that, of course, we all know the Galapagos as being one of the most pristine locations left in the world, right. you know, one of the most untouched locations. And uh, we, we figured because it was an island, it certainly was um, facing the same issues of uh, ocean-borne trash that all the other islands that he had been to and witnessed. Mm -hmm. So he said, what a great opportunity to go to the most pristine and see if, in fact, the same thing was happening there because why wouldn't and, it be? And what, what did you find, Del? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> was it pristine? We, we, we found more than what we expected. Ugh. In fact, it was so bad and the shorelines where, of course, people aren't brought to and in, in fact you're not allowed to go there they don't want you to see this mm. the parts of the island that you are allowed to go to and that boats take you to they keep very clean mm -hmm. okay but the uh, the parts of the island that we went to that we kind of had to do covertly um were horrendous and they were so bad that not only were some of the beaches entirely covered with debris not, not a piece of beach even visible and this is all washed up from other places. Washed up from the ocean. On beaches that man has not even stepped foot on. Yet completely covered with ocean-borne debris, which is a lot of it, the majority of it was from commercial ships mm. that washed overboard or they threw, dumped overboard. And fishing vessels. Not only was it bad, but the animals only found in the Galapagos, like the marine iguana, they were living in this trash and using this trash as if it were natural materials. materials. Wow. And why wouldn't so, it? So, I mean, so, again, the whole Darwinian uh, thing is, is that you adapt to your environment. Exactly. And, and how ironic it was to, to see these animals evolving to uh, live amongst this trash and debris. Wow. So, so whether it's in whether, the land where right, Darwin whether, but, talked about evolution, right? But but on our island, you know, it's trash on the beach and trash in the water, and the imprimatur uh, that mankind is putting on the the Long Island, all the way to the Galapagos. It's it's still the need for kind of compassion, the need for uh, not being lazy, and the need for understanding that we're just here borrowing a little time on a rock that's going to be here a lot longer than any of us right and uh it's our responsibility to care for it yeah so absolutely where can people see this uh this film that isabella is um isabella the full-length movie it's it's over why is it called isabella? over an hour isabella was the is the biggest island in the galapagos archipelago mm -hmm. okay it's where they actually have a community there there's mm -hmm. churches schools um center of town type of stuff very unique lifestyle there it would be a whole episode talking about okay. it okay yeah but, so if, if but, someone wants to see what but, you but they want if you want to see the movie the full-length movie is available right now on uh, amazon if you're a prime member you can uh, view it for free uh the name of the movie again is isabella a green explorer expedition but you can just search isabella you could also view it on my website, uh, imaginationnature.com, 
as well as Billy's website, thegreenexplorer.org. And you said it just got into the Sedona Film Festival? We just did a short documentary edit, a director's cut, if you will. Mm -hmm. We cut it down to 46 minutes, and we re-released it to enter in a, a film festival. And it's basically a condensed version just showing Billy's work of building these sculptures out of the, out of the debris and erecting them at the shorelines around Isabella at wow. the Galapagos as mockers and warnings about what this trash is going to do to the human race if we yeah. continue to allow it Here to happen. Here there be monsters. Let, let me, if I if I had time, I just still want to give out the website, not only imaginationnature.com is my photography and film website, but the Wildlife Rescue of East Hampton, we also have a wonderful website there. It's um, www.wroeh.org meaning Wildlife Rescue of East Hampton, WROEH.org. You'll see all the wonderful things we're doing there. And, of course, we are presently, we've applied for our 501c3 tax status. Right. Um, You're waiting on it. We're waiting on it. And it as soon as that while. gets approved, we're we're going to start some major You're fundraising. You're going to call me right away. Because we need, we need to get a lot done so we can help these animals in the best and most efficient method possible. And we really have some good people ready to kick this off. Oh, it's really. been so great having you, Del. I just oh, uh, I, really I wonderful conversation. I... And uh, I want to thank our producer, Kyle Lynch. I want to thank the Bridgehampton Inn and Restaurant and Sibylla Van Kempen for continuing to host us. And, of course, Alec. Yeah, thank you. And everybody, as we um, push into this next week, a uh, week closer to uh, the winter solstice mm. and to the uh, holidays of giving, and I guess receiving. Uh, I think that uh, if, if I'm certainly going to take from this conversation a little bit more awareness of the world that we're actually living in on the east end of Long Island, our responsibility, and also uh, the real joy is, is compassion. The real joy is to um, be open to seeing the world maybe from a different perspective than the one that you're being force-fed on all of your social media, which I'm not on currently. Uh, <laughs> anyway. To be able to see the world through the eyes of maybe another animal. Absolutely. Besides us. Whether it's a jaguar or a squirrel. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. Be well and stay well. <laughs> <laughs>